the Conscious Style Podcast, where we explore what it will take to build a better, more sustainable, and equitable future for fashion. I'm your host, Elizabeth Joy. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey there, everyone. Today, we are back with another episode on circular fashion, the theme of this season of the podcast. So with so much talk about circularity in the fashion industry today coming from big fast fashion brands, circularity has been co-opted and greenwashed. These brands are using mass-produced, recycled polyester clothes to proclaim their green credentials with no mention of fair wages, safety for workers, or reducing production. They're using take-back programs as a way to continue to overproduce and encourage overconsumption. They are advertising textile recycling technology as a silver bullet solution that will solve all of the industry's problems. Now, does this mean that circular fashion is a lost cause? Has it been greenwashed so much that the term circularity is totally meaningless? I do still have hope for the concept particularly when I look at small, conscious brands that are thinking through every single stage of their process. Brands like Anne Moulard. So today on the show, I am excited to be talking with Andréanne Moulard about how they are building a truly circular fashion business model that is also local and ethical. Andrean will be telling us about everything from intentional production to zero waste design practices and tailoring services to starting a resale program. Andrean is of Ojibwe French Métis ancestry, so she is also going to tell us about how she continues to explore her Métis heritage through her brand. As always, the transcript for this episode is in the show notes on ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com and hit subscribe so that you do not miss future conversations like this one. And for more sustainable fashion content, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Conscious Edit. I share articles I'm reading, podcasts I'm listening to, videos and documentaries I'm watching, and more in these emails. You can sign up for those over on ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com forward slash edit, or you can find the link in the episode description. All right, now on to today's conversation. Andreanne is going to start us off with how she got into fashion design and why she decided to create her namesake Conscious Fashion brand. Just a quick final note here, there is a bit of background noise at some points in this interview as Andreanne was at her boutique. I think that it adds to the experience a bit, so I hope that you still enjoy this interview. But as I mentioned, the transcript of this episode is also in the show notes if you do need it. Okay, now let's get started. So as long as I can remember, I've always been doing crafting. I'm lucky that my, my parents always valued creativity. So every summer we had a project to do. And for me, it was either I did some beading or necklaces. I even did some dry arrangements. And so we were always, you know, pushed to, to create something. It was always embraced 
creativity. With that, I also started dancing, and I've always wanted to become a professional dancer. So I think in the dance world, it was uh, just the whole creativity of movements, the body movements. But then dancing a lot, it just I got injured. So of course, there's a point that I had to figure out. Well, you know, what are you gonna do if you can't do this? How? What are you gonna do in life? And I decided to actually combine my two passions, which is dance and design. You know, even though I didn't become a professional dancer, I wanted to be the, a part of the dance world. So I started doing costumes for different troops, and you know, and we all know dance costumes are expensive. So mm-hmm. when you're, you know, you're starting up, you're trying always to limit your fees. So I started making dance costumes for the different dance troupe, and. Then I realized two things. Well, one, that historically dance costumes are uncomfortable and are very uh, stiff. And also there's a lot, number two is there's a lot of waste happening because you would use the costume for one show and then you would throw it away. And they're not comfortable enough to wear at your practices. So you never wear them again. And it's all made with synthetic fabric. Yeah. So when I was approached by a, it's called Nafro Dance Company here in Winnipeg. They asked me if I could create costumes for their for their shows, and and they were all about natural, and they they wanted that comfort. So, yeah, so I, I you know I started designing for this dance troupe, and I became their de- their costume designer for ten years. But in doing so, I also re- you know realized the body movement, like how the fabric flowed, how there's so many aspects that I and knowledge that I gained from doing these costumes that allowed me to create the brand I have today that is very comfortable and but still stylish and I I have to owe it to that because you know trying to make a costume or a pair of pants for a dancer that she has to roll get lift uh, it has to be comfortable but yet it has to show very well on stage it's a challenge and on top of that I wanted to make it sustainable. I want the fabric to stay and for them to, to also wear it throughout their practices. So, you know, there are so many cool, really fun challenges for me. So that was the first part. And then when I realized that, I, um, I said, you know what, I need to go and get a fashion degree. I want to learn more. So I took a course in environmental textile, um, a part of the human ecology program at U of M here in, in Winnipeg. And that's where we, I first learned about the back scene of the fashion world. So the child labor cases, the sweatshops, racism, pollution. And that's, in, that's like 20 years ago. So we didn't even talk about fast fashion. It was more, you know, just fashion in general. So for me, learning all those, I thought it was so interesting. I'm like, this is happening? So then I, I really want to learn about making the products. I'm like, okay, I know the backstory. I want to see exactly how to make the product. So then I moved to Montreal and and embarked on the four-year program in fashion design. And that's where it all started. I was able to bring the knowledge that I captivated from the human ecology courses. And what I noticed was uh, when I had projects, I would kind of remember what was the backstory and and about the pollution, and then I would choose better my fabric. So when I, we would go to the fabric store, instead of getting a cheap polyester, something that I wouldn't even wear, I started creating you know, clothing that I said, well, 
yeah, I would definitely wear this this wool skirt in winter because it's cold. And I'm going to do my A-line skirt in this beautiful wool and line it with a nice cotton because it's comfortable, you know, like little things like that versus just getting a very shiny satin and just uh, and just make a skirt just because the project is make an A-line skirt. So we had to make at least 10 pieces a week, which added so much pieces in my little closet at home. So every summer I would come back home, uh, then I would embark into a festival or kind of sign up for a festival and have a little booth outside and, and I would try to sell my, my samples because I thought, well, we'll see if people like them, first of all. And people did. And I think that was probably the first taste of entrepreneuriat. And I did that for four years. Every summer I would come home. I would sign up for another festival and then stay outside for nine hours for a whole week and try to sell my pieces. Then, I, you know, every year I came back to school, my project would get a little bit more challenging and fun because I would remember customers I've met at the festival. And then I, so every year I just started doing the same thing. And then in 2005, my last year, I had a lady that approached me. She was starting a yoga studio and she asked me to create a whole clothing line for her studio. So that was probably the, the beginning of, of Anne Muller. Yeah, that's so interesting. I also used to dance and I can totally relate to costumes being very uncomfortable <laughs> and expensive and also wasteful. So it's really cool that you came into fashion design through your dance experience. Mm -hmm. And I know that another major influence for your brand that you talk about is your heritage. So can you tell us more about how your heritage has influenced and continues to influence your work today? So indigenous culture is generally is very respectful for the planet and for Mother Earth. So those are values that I was brought up with and are still instilled in me. So when I look at um, my heritage collection, for example, it was definitely inspired by my Métis ancestor, and her name is Catherine Muller. So she's my grandpa's grandmother, so my great-great-grandmother. And when I started my company in 2005, my mom actually showed me a piece, an original piece of her embroidery. And she told me her story where she was the last uh, Métis woman born in a teepee here in Winnipeg and became the first Métis teacher in rural Manitoba. And that it's a it's a big story because there is no woman woman teachers you know she was the first and I could just imagine you know just the stress and just um, the challenges she had to go through to kind of stand up and say education is very important and I will you know I want to I want to help our community and so I did find I really resonated with her story and I felt her spirit was very strong so for me to keep her spirit alive, I wanted to add it to my collection and pay homage to my ancestors. And to keep our story alive, we have to keep talking about it and sharing it with the public. So it really influenced my heritage collection. But overall, you know, the way I was brought up, it was definitely the values of buying less, buying better, use what you need, not what you want. Yeah. So you mentioned your heritage collection. Can you tell us a little bit more about your heritage prints? 
Yeah. Well, all of the designs are actually created by my father, David, who's uh, also an Indigenous artist. You know, when I created the company, my parents said, well, how are you going to make this your story? How are, how are these clothes going to be you? And um, so I really looked at my heritage and I, I looked at myself and I thought, well, I would love to add some heritage prints or we called it more design prints at that time. And my dad being an artist, he's like, well, I can paint on them. And I said, really? Oh, that would be amazing. So he started painting on some of my dresses and people loved it. But then what happened is that we started getting orders and more orders. And then one day, one Saturday morning, I go, because I, I actually had my um, the atelier workshop in my parents' basement for eight years before being where I am today. And we have a location. So I used to be in my parents' basement. And so I would go from my house, go in the basement and work every year, every day. And I saw my dad there one Saturday morning in his bathrobe and painting these dresses. And I thought, oh, my goodness. He's like, he's becoming a sweatshop. We're becoming a sweatshop where he's not even having his morning coffee. He's actually coming down right away and painting for me. No, this has to stop. So we started actually, then we started looking at alternatives to, to help him not have to hand paint all these prints on each garment. So we started silk screening these prints on each garment. And this allowed us to actually work more together in the collaboration of the print. So we would take more time to, to look at each print and to, it actually takes us like a, a good year to think of the the print we want to create, what's the story behind it. And I, I found it very special or collaboration, you know, coming with from my father. I think all things are circular and just to be able to work with him and has been very meaningful on a personal level too. That's amazing. I love how it's it's a family business there with your dad doing the prints. Mm-hmm. And my mom, she's, you know, always working here too. She's always helping. But I think the one purpose of all our heritage prints that you can see on the website is that it tells the story of Indigenous people of Canada or, you know, Canada is also called Kanata, what we used to call it a while back. And I think that's what's really beautiful because it's not just Métis, but I try to regroup everyone as a uni unity. We're all these, you know, Indigenous people walking the same planet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another really unique part of your brand is that you produce entirely in Canada. Even your fabrics are made in Ontario. And you own your own sewing and textile manufacturer, which is also very rare. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell us about your commitment to local and ethical sourcing and what a vertically integrated supply chain looks like in practice? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, it was very important to stay local from the beginning. This is my home. These are my roots. You know, this is where I, I, I couldn't think of a better place to manufacture than right here in, in Winnipeg or Canada. So when I started my company in 2005, my mom did ask me one question. She's like, how are you going to help people? So I've always wanted to help creating better Going through the courses, seeing what was happening even throughout my my fashion course in Montreal and how 
my colleagues were buying fabric or what they were making, I thought, okay, no, this, we can do better than this. So um, I want to keep our production in Canada because I want to keep jobs. I want to create jobs. You know, my journey has always been more about the purpose of helping people. So when I decided to be in Winnipeg or to stay production in Winnipeg, I knew there would be challenges. You know, I've so many people told me, you cannot do this. You will not succeed. There's so many no's. Mm -hmm. But I think with perseverance and us as Métis people of Canada, we're very resilient. I said, no, we will make it. And Winnipeg, if for those listening, we used to be the hub of manufacturers. Like we had so many manufacturers in Winnipeg, but then when the fast, uh, fast fashion came in and, and the overseas, you know, started, then a lot of them closed down. So I guess maybe a deep inside, I thought we can do this again. We can revamp our industry to have it again local. So yeah, it was kind of, a no-brainer for me to to try to make it to create jobs here to to keep our manufacturer here and it was also a good way for me to be able to to control it and to keep an eye on it because when you do it overseas you don't know what's happening it's the unknown and if you don't know what's happening you can't advocate as much yes very well said that is such a good point and something else that stands out about your production practices, which I think is also connected to your local and ethical sourcing, is your circular fashion initiatives. And I'm really excited to explore these with you because this season of the podcast is all about circular fashion and dissecting what that really means. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of circularity initiatives that I'm really excited about and I'm looking forward to exploring with you. But first, could you tell us what circular fashion means to you? Mm -hmm. Good question. <laughs> I remember the first time I watched the documentary, The True Cost, and it reminded me of the constant direction that I didn't want to go. So, nor I want to be part of, you know, all the waste. So then after watching that documentary, I really well it, it was kind of a good reminder of what am I doing what is this brand going to do so I firmly believe that if we want a, a healthier planet then we have to adopt a circular economy you know in terms of the fashion industry that means like making garments that last years if not like a lifetime designing smarter timeless pieces repair men sourcing sustainable materials mm -hmm. That's what it means to me. You know, our team is always looking for a, a more sustainable material that can be reused, recycled, or even biogradable. We're always, you know, putting a lot of time into research and development. So for me, that's what it means. But, and then if you think of uh, what it means for Anne Muller, well, it also means, you know, making sure the workers are paid ethically. That's also where our zero waste program came, the birth of our zero waste program. I, we'll probably go more in detail with, with what we do. Yeah, yeah. We are going to get into all of the various initiatives or elements of your brand. And you actually led into my next question, which is, 
you know, could you tell us about your zero waste design techniques and your zero waste program? Mm-hmm. So the zero waste program or technique, it starts with when I release a collection and then I have remnants of leftover fabric. So then these remnants are nurtured in love and we create a whole new collection. That's when I realized, you know, when I started doing more production, I, I saw the waste happening and I thought, oh, ooh, that's not good. So, yeah, I started curating color combos and and usually when I create a style for the Zero collection, I usually try to use a timeless style or a classic style because I find the Zero Waste concept gives it that little flair, you know. So I think my first Zero Waste piece was a sweatshirt. Um, and that was a few years ago. And I thought, what can I, how can I use these, these remnants? And I thought, what if I did a really cool sweatshirt? Because that's something that people know. It's a cut that people understand. It's something that people wear. But let's give it this this additional flair. So that's how it uh, it all started. And then also once I create the the design, and because it's all small pieces, I either so we have two two styles of zero waste. We either have one where we recreate a fabric, and so when I take all the remnants and I put it in the big bin, and I have a sewer sew little patches and recreate a big fabric, then we cut a style in that fabric again. And then number two of a technique is where we block color or zero waste. So I actually create patterns, small patterns to create a block color style. And those small patterns are put in my computer where I I will put them directly on a marker. A marker is where you put all the patterns and it's kind of a tetric thing and you put all the sizes and that's where we lay it on the fabric and we we cut it from there and so that will go in all the corners and kind of capture the whole space the whole meter or our yards from a fabric so you have no waste basically and then you sew that piece together and it becomes a one of basically yeah that's so interesting to get a little bit more of a glimpse into your practices So when talking about waste in fashion, overproduction is a huge problem in the industry, if not the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. So with your zero waste or low waste ethos, how do you avoid overproducing and having a bunch of excess stock? So a few years ago, we started doing trade shows And that was because I actually started because for us in Canada in 2008, we had an economy crash and a lot of stores closed their boutiques. So for us, we had wholesale accounts and some of these uh, wholesale accounts canceled their order. So I had all this extra stock. So I decided, well, I guess let's go back to trade shows or let's go back to um, craft shows. And that was great because I was able to bring you know, other seasoned products that was not selling too much back to the trade show and or to these shows. And then new eyeballs would see these pieces and say, hey, this is really pretty. And, and they would buy it. So we started doing that because w- one thing was wholesale, I felt was using, was doing a lot production. I was producing a lot and not often I had to 
to sell, right? And they wanted a new collection every season. Yeah. So then when this happened, we had to shift and start doing our trade show and selling. Then COVID hit. And so doing all these trade shows, I was producing a lot. And then COVID hit. And then that really gave me a pivot time to think about my production. And we started doing more online online sales so that I decided to change our habit in production and do, let's just do just in time. So whatever orders comes in, we make it. Also, you know, because of the fabric, our fabric supplier, the yarn was delayed, which, you know, everything was delayed. So bless her in disguise, I realized just in time, it was actually really good because we were able to we were able to use our, our, our fabric efficiently and we were able to, to make the garment whenever it, it was sold and not have stock of, of garment. So that tactic of just in time, I, I had always kind of done it all through my years, but not fully. So for the last two years, we have really put a, a pre- not pressure, I, I mean like a focus on it mm-hmm. and for me, I, I know there's other companies saying, oh, how can you be successful doing that? Because it, it, yes, it takes time. We have one full cutter and all she does is she cuts every piece. But we also offer customization and it ties into you buy better and you buy less. You buy something that fits well. You get it hemmed to your length. Uh, you get it, you know, taken into the shoulder because you have shoulder smaller shoulders. We do all that. And I feel the customer is happier that they receive something that actually fit versus just something from a cutty cutter box. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the our whole just-in-time process, I find it has been great in yeah reducing excess uh, stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talked about the importance of a good fit as well. And you actually do offer alterations services at Anne Muller. So can you tell us about that and also maybe about your repair services as well? Because I find that really awesome. Yeah. So our alteration right now, if you go on the, on the website, you can actually s- select the inseam you want for our pants. We do a lot. We do often, if somebody is short, we will shorten the skirt. We'll, all we need is the height. People ship back their leggings. If there's a small hole, we repair, we ship back. You know, we someone brought back a pair of leggings from eight years ago, and we actually upcycled them and made them a little bit more cool and cute. And, and I think she even had a second pair and we made shorts for her. You know, that's that's what's innovative and fun and create creative for us is to um, see these products come back after eight years and and the girl you know customer still loving it we're like don't worry we're gonna make it even better or changing it a, a little bit so of course being sustainable or being a, a brand that offers circular fashion it means you know having an alteration program having a repair program or services and of course, it's a little bit, always a little bit more, but I think that's the future. If we we can't offer ways to to you know, it's our responsibilities to find ways to respect the planet and to find ways to keep our system circular. Yeah, and that's a testament to the quality of your products that people are still wearing them eight years later. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so size inclusivity is something that is also very important to you that you've recently made further improvements upon. So can you tell us about why that was important to you and what the process of expanding your size range was like? Mm-hmm. So I say this to, uh, I try to say this to everybody at the brand and everybody, but to truly be sustainable, you need to be able to invite everybody in, right? And to have fair and equitable access. So, you know, in my personal life, I know the importance of representation means being Métis, being Two-Spirit, being French. So the process that we took for expanding our size is that we interviewed over 100 ladies and we also test fit. We test fit them. It was important for us that, well, first is to hear their stories. Second, also to get their feedback on feeling oppressed and excluded. So from there, I was able to gather all the valuable feedback and create a line. I didn't want to create a plus line. I wanted just to expand my brand to all women. So it was important to, to go through this whole process. It took us six months to really, you know, value these ladies that were coming to us and, and telling their stories and for me to listen and for me to really acknowledge what they were saying and, and try and create as well as I could pieces that would actually make them feel better and feel good and part of this sustainable world. Because at the end, I want everybody to have access to sustainable fabrics or sustainable clothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that extending your size range was such an intentional, thoughtful, and thorough process. Mm-hmm. It's always, yeah, anytime you do something new, it's Again, you know, I guess it's the way I was brought up. It's the brand. We don't just push something out. We we really keep meaning. You know, Mm -hmm. we we take it slow, but we make it grow authentically. And Mm -hmm. yeah, and sustainability is an ever evolving journey. So it's really inspiring to see how you are continually making efforts to be more circular and inclusive and sustainable with you know, the way that you're running your brand. So one of your upcoming initiatives is your Revive program. So can you tell us about that and anything else new to Anne Moulard? Yeah, well, we actually just launched our first ever sleepwear collection in full tensile. We just started introducing tensile, which is another sustainable fabric that uses a closed loop system. But it's actually also made in Canada. So that I was super excited to collaborate with another knitter. And aside from that, we've also expanded our manufacturers. So now we have 10 employees. It's all women-led, which is really cool, including the cutting. Because usually cutting, it's uh, it has always previously been men. So now we have a, a woman cutter, which is cool. And the Revive program coming into 2022 so the Revive program, it's, it's a resale program, and its main goal is to keep our clothing in the loop longer and out of the landfill. So in a way, it's kind of a, our big step in creating a circular economy within our brand, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, and the other goal is to be able to create a lower price point, but to gain access to our clothing. So 
I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a, a good creative out, outlet too for me. You know, people bring their pieces back and we either upcycle or we repair, mend, resell, or we bring it into the zero waste program and we change it all up and do something really fun with it. Yeah, these circularity initiatives can also spark creativity. And I'm always so inspired by designers and brands who are doing really cool men's or upcycled rework projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like, uh, uh, you know, probably this brand, uh, Eileen Fisher, but I find like she's always very inspiring because they've done, they've been doing the the Renew program for a long time and, and they have so many stores. So I, I'm so happy I see that they're doing this, you know, circular econ- economy or circular clothing within their company. But it's it more if more companies can do that, this this would be amazing. That means less pieces are going to the landfill. Yeah, for sure. So another one of your initiatives that I'd love to talk about with you is your work to trace the entire footprint of your brand's production practices. So can you tell us a little bit about why you decided to do this whole tracing process and, you know, what that all involved? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think, well, we're forward thinkers. And so we recognize that we recognize where we had to go to be more sustainable. Like every year we try to do better. Yeah. You know, this year we wanted to aim to show our customers transparency of our supply chain. There's always a you know a way to grow and be better, do better. So, and we also we all have to be accountable for our you know for our actions and decisions. So, we hired a company to trace our environmental footprint from seed to shelf, which was really cool because that's even sometimes information that we didn't didn't know, you know. And so, the, so then we did a global well, they did a global life cycle analysis. And they performed an internal audit to trace our supply chain. So that way, we were able to showcase on our site, you know, the whole information from where we get our our crops to getting the yarn done to getting the thread shipped to Canada, where the mills are knitting the fabric, and then the fabric dyed right across the street to fabric shipped to Winnipeg where we cut, sew, design, finish everything, and then ship to the customer. And so along the way, you know, moving forward, we're always going to try to say, okay, well, how can we do this even better, less carbon footprint? But yeah, we'll always keep on trying to keep this moving. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And as we've talked about, it is an ever-evolving journey, I think, Mm -hmm. That's what it means to be a conscious fashion brand is to continually work towards sustainability in all various ways and, you know, be open to continually learning and changing. So thank you for letting us into that process. Yeah. And I want to just add, you know, there's a a fashion trade that I first attend in 2000. 18, I believe, in Copenhagen. And it's a sustainable fashion trade. And um, it was my first time. And it was so amazing to see so much sustainable brands and also conversation around sustainability and how to do 
be better, do better. Because, you know, I, I sometimes I do feel I'm the only one here in Winnipeg. And I know I, I'm not the only one, but it's, it's hard to see us wanting to do better. But being sustainable, there's so many challenges and it's not always profitable. So you really have to put your mindset and say, okay, why am I doing this for profit or for people? And we made a decision a long time ago is for people, but we need to stay alive also, right? So uh, being at that trade show gave us, um, it just inspired me a lot to, okay, come back and and use some of the tactics and information that they had provided. So, you know, the revive, the trace, traceability, these are these are words and tactics that they had talked about five years ago when I went to the first fair. And then I went back in 2020. And then the next big topics was inclusivity, traceability, authenticity, you know, and I find this is these are things that all businesses have to keep in mind in order to be responsible for for whatever they they're putting out. You know, we're all responsible for our own businesses and, and what we put out. So I'm always trying to, to help other companies try to think ahead, too, and everybody can be sustainable in their own ways. And uh, I think it's, it's a big topic because it's the future. Yeah. And as we start to think about the future here, I think that transitions into my final question for you, which is, what does a better future for fashion look like to you? Um, I would definitely think of these three things that is always in the back of my head is uh, inclusion for all, responsible cons- consommation. Cons- consumption? Uh, so, yes. <laughs> there you go. I'll teach you a couple of French words. <laughs> yes, I love it. So, um, yeah, so responsible consumption and circular economy for sure. So those three things. And that's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to take a look at the episode description in your podcast app for the links referenced in this episode, as well as the various links to learn more about today's guest. For the full transcript of this episode, you can head on over to ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com and navigate to the podcast section of the site. The link to the full show notes should also be linked in whatever podcast app that you are listening on. If you would like to spread the word about this show and help the content reach more people, you can share the episode or podcast with a friend, screenshot this episode and share about it on Instagram stories, tagging at Conscious Style. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, something that really helps is to leave a rating and review. Thank you in advance for supporting the show in whatever way that you can. For more conscious content, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Conscious Edit. In this newsletter, I share recommendations for reading, listening to, watching, and much more. To get on that list, you can head to ConsciousLifeAndStyle.com forward slash edit. And the link to subscribe will also be in the episode description. Thank you for tuning in to the Conscious Style podcast and sticking around until the very end. I'll see you again, same time, same place next week.